Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and today is episode 29, and we are going to be talking about hospitality and about how it fits within the kingdom of God and on mission. Let's do this! Thank you guys so much for joining us today on this episode. We're really glad that you are here today, and we love hearing back from you guys. Thank you guys so much for reaching out. And today, we have, as always, Shu and Bernard. How are you guys doing? What's up? Yo, yo. Yo, yo. What's going on? It's going on. And today, we have two, not one, two very special guests. Both of them really exhibit hospitality in their lives in different ways, in the way they extend God's love, in the way they participate on God's mission. And it is such an honor to have them here today. In fact, when we were planning today and we were trying to find out, you know, how the logistics and everything and how to figure out how to do this, both of them immediately respond and say, let's do it at our house. We'll feed you. We'll, you know, invite you guys over. And just right off the bat, that is amazing. So, Lise Lamb and Bianca Armstrong, how are you guys doing? Great. Awesome. All right. I'm going to give a chance for you guys to introduce yourselves. Tell us who you are. All right. I'm Bianca Armstrong, and I am a youth worker with Youth Unlimited, specifically with their Light Patrol program, which is a program for homeless and street-involved youth. So I spend a lot of my time working one-on-one with young people who find home on the street. And part of what I do is running a hospitality initiative for young women who are homeless. And so I invite them into a home space and enjoy the joys of home with them. So cooking, a safe space, peace, a candle that's lit, a good meal. Yes. Fantastic. That sounds so interesting. (laughs) I was just thinking my introduction would be I'm a food blogger and I'm a writer. And and I'm all in. I'm all in. I love it. (laughs) We are sold. (laughs) Just off the bat, as we're talking about hospitality, can you guys describe to us what has been your journey of understanding what hospitality is? What does it represent? Why is it important for you guys? So I grew up in a very tight-knit Korean community. And this Korean community, we're all new immigrants together. We lived in this small suburban town Mm. outside of Seattle. And I just grew up thinking it was normal to have people come over. So people always stop by for a cup of coffee. People would just randomly stop by and say, hey, I'm dropping off some veg that I saw that was on sale. (laughs) That kind of very Korean Asian thing. And my parents like to host. So we'd have big parties and small parties. And it was just this normal, natural way of life. And then I moved away and I realized this is not how most people live. (laughs) Right? It's not. I realized, wow, this kind of sucks to live in this big city. Everyone lives everywhere. Mm. People's places are so small. You can't Mm -hmm. really invite people over. And I was a very new believer at the time. Mm -hmm. So kind of this reformed party girl trying to figure out if church life made sense for me, right? And I went to this church, this Chinese church, even though I'm Korean, just because it was so different. I kind of needed to remove myself from the Korean church context. These two girls invited me over for dinner. And they were so different from me. They were sweet, wholesome church girls just the opposite of who I thought I was at that time. And I thought we were so different. And I was kind of thinking, what are we going to talk about? Like, what are we going to do? And they made spaghetti and cucumber salad and we ate. And after that meal, I thought, 
there's a place for me inside of this church. Ooh. There's a place for me in this faith if girls like that can accept someone like me. And yeah, that was kind of my first realization that the table is more than just having people over. It is about connecting. It's about creating a, a space for belonging, acceptance. It is a powerful place where things happen that are unspoken and unseen. Mm-hmm. And so then I just began to just live my life, always inviting people over. And acts of service is my thing, right? So this is, and I love food. I'm obsessed with food. <laughs> so I'm always cooking and I'm always thinking about what I'm going to eat next. And so I just started inviting people over. And when I started inviting people over and just cooking for people, one-on-one, small group, large group, it just became this way to do life. So then I married a pastor. And, you know, I know. (laughs) But I just kind of kept doing my thing. And I, you know, I became a mom to three girls and I just kept inviting people over. Mm. So, you know, when my youngest went back to school, I, I kind of was figuring out what should I do with my life? Should I go back to teaching, which is what I did? And I felt that one big theme that had come out in the past 10, 12 years that I'd stayed at home was that I was always cooking. I was always having people over that I had developed in that span of time, a very real skill set that I could cook now for massive amounts of people and that I knew how to just kind of mix people or make the situation work. And so I thought, geez, all these millennials are getting paid to travel the world. Why can't I get paid to cook at home and host? And so that's kind of it's where... The dream. It's the dream. Yes. Well, I don't know. Not everyone's dream. It's not my dream, right? To travel the world. But so I started this food blog. My journey of hospitality is now I see the table as this powerful place mm-hmm. where real relationships happen. And I feel we live in this culture of isolation and loneliness and... There's not real room for intimacy and connection. Yeah, for sure. And even I feel the Lord's table. I mean, I'm a person of faith and I feel the Eucharist, the Lord's table, it should have so much more meaning than it should. I feel we go to church on Sundays and it's a bastardized version of Mm. what it should be. And I feel what I do in my home is kind of a mini version of it, Mm. of here's a place where we can gather. Here's a place where we can do church life without the big capital C church. Mm. And this is where I feel God is calling me to use my gifts. Very cool. And what is the name of your blog and your Instagram? It's the subversive table. Yes. Some people think it's a lot and it is, but (laughs) other people get it. And yeah. It's so cool. And we'll include the links in the show notes below. If you guys want to go check that out and want to make yourself feel really hungry because the food pictures are next level. Fantastic. I was sold at the gochujang pork Tacos. Is that good pronunciation? Oh. <laughs> yes, the gochujang chicken, gochujang pork. Yeah, actually, your pronunciation is pretty good. Yeah, he's married to a Korean woman. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Then she's probably going to school you, right? If you don't pronounce it correctly? No? Oh, this is, I'm sorry. This will be I'm all okay. dir- I'm no, this totally is acting like this is we no are, recording. We are, myself, are, we are around so. the table. We can be ourselves. No. This is the way it should be. Yeah. This is the way it should be. And then because it'll be on the internet, it'll be there forever. So yes. just in case oh your wife wants to look at this. Hey, up. Susan. It's not so much hey, my Susan, wife. Hey, Susan, what's going on? Lost. <laughs> oh, yes. Susan would be cool with it. But. <laughs> uh, Bianca, what has been your journey like? So I grew up in a Canadian, but also an Italian family. So hospitality is kind of in our blood. Hmm. Lots of people, lots of food, always gathering in homes. And kind of a similar 
journey to lease in that like my home was always very open to people. My grandparents lived next door. I grew up on a farm. So I would like walk through the fields to my grandmother's house. And as soon as I walked in the door, are you hungry? What, <laughs> what, what can I get for you? And honestly, she would literally go out to the field, cut a piece of broccoli off, bring it inside <laughs> and prepare That's it. Awesome. Like, wow. um, so cool. So cool. Organic, and organic. Farm, yes. farm to the <laughs> farm to <laughs> table yeah, as, right. as pure as it comes. By so, so she was, yeah. she's just so lovely. And so I grew up like that, that anytime you were welcomed into a home, it was with food and it was at the table and you would always eat together. And my family modeled this very well. My friends were always welcome at my home. And I have a quite a big family. There's five kids. And so it was always just very full. Like I was just very used to lots of noise, lots of mess, a very little privacy, just kind of you're all, you're all together and around the table is probably where we had our most bizarre and wonderful and also sad moments. And so even in high school and with my friends, I noticed that every time we hung out, it we always ended at the kitchen table. It was always in one of our friends' <laughs> nice. parents' kitchen, around the table, eating chips or something, and it always ends there. And I loved, I loved that. And I realized as I was going to school, I traveled from... Um, Stovall Axe to downtown Toronto for my university experience. And I realized that I just loved coming home. I loved coming back to a safe, quiet place where I could just be fully myself. I didn't have to dress up for anybody or put on a different face. I just loved being in a safe, non judgmental space. And I could feel myself deflate as soon as I walked in the door. Mm. That Toronto at the time was this like very glitzy, glamorous place. You have to. And I was at U of T, there's like a prestigious element that comes to that. And so I think I pretended to be something I wanted to be maybe, but I would come home and be like, no, this is where I can be me. Mm. And my family loves me. And so actually during that time, I actually would walk past people who are homeless, like on my way to school. And I remember thinking like, they actually don't ever get a space like that. They There are very few spaces where I think they can deflate and just feel themselves and feel so loved and so safe. My journey's long, but eventually I come to uh, Youth Unlimited and I start working with Light Patrol. So my, but I didn't just want to work with homeless youth for the sake of working with homeless youth. I felt God really called me to a home space for people to make people feel safe and and comfortable. Hmm. And we were always being invited into home spaces on the streets. So as bizarre as it is, like around like little fires and intense and like funny forts and whatever makeshift home. People were always inviting us in, me and my ministry partner. And we were like, we never get a chance to invite them in. And so we went through a season of prayer and discernment and really heard God call us to a hospitality space that in its biggest glorious dream would be a place where people would live. But in its small kind of from the ground, from the roots, it would be a place that we could invite people in to just feel safe, feel peace, mm. experience rest, and then see what happens. Because I don't know, in home, I don't know if this is true for you, but when I go back to my parents' home, I'm like my most true self. I am like what, I don't know if that happens with other people. But <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to create that for young women specifically who are on the street. And so we found a space, a church gave us like a, a main floor of their parsonage or their rectory or their manse, whatever you want to call it. and uh, so there's a kitchen and big windows and couches, and it was just this beautiful, cozy space. And we partnered with the church to do that. And then we actually got the t- opportunity to move into that house. So me and my husband and my then co-worker, we all moved into the apartment 
in the basement of that house and lived together. Mm-hmm. And then another girl joined us. <laughs> and then my ministry partner moved out. And then another girl joined us and then a dog. And so we kind of live in this kind of quirky communal living situation where hospitality is just like the name of the game that anybody's welcome at any time. And we cook together or we drink a lot of milkshakes and it's just just a really safe place for people. Very cool. I think it's interesting what you say about home feeling the place where you are most yourself. I've just read a lot that people who are displaced from a physical home Mm -hmm. don't have that same feeling. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that you're trying to provide that yet this group of people that you're ministering to don't necessarily see home in the same place. Yeah. You know, that probably must come up certain issues. Yeah. Or trauma in home. Like, I think part of it. Part of our vision was that we would join God in redeeming home for people because so much, you know, abuse or trauma, neglect, poverty happened in in four walls at some point in their life. And so actually a lot of people that we meet don't want to live in a home because of that. And Mm -hmm. so to show them that like healthy home and positive, good home is possible was part of is part of what we want to do. Yeah. Maybe inspire some desire for that. It's awesome because it's like. We don't often talk about redeeming space, Mm -hmm. but yeah, space has so much meaning and Mm -hmm. purpose and, you know, God is so active in space too. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yes. It's so tangible. It's so real. You know, you guys have both mentioned how hospitality has connected to your relationship with God. Can you guys share a little bit about what has that looked like and just kind of tease out more about what does it look like to be part of his redeeming work and part of his mission? I think in hospitality, so like I mentioned before, in home, you are your most real self. And I think for a long time, I didn't bring my real self to God. I pretended to be a better Christian than I was and Mm, felt a lot of shame for a long time and didn't even realize sometimes that, yeah, I pretended to be somebody I wasn't. I, I met everybody else's expectations at the expense of following God's will for me. And so home, I have realized over and over again, you cannot fake who you are. It all comes out when you're with your family. When you're in a safe space, you don't fake it. and You can't fake it. It's impossible because a, a good home is an authentic home and it only inspires you to be more authentic. So I guess I'm relating home and hospitality. Mm-hmm. Hospitality can exist outside of a physical home. I know that. It's, it's kind of a spirit that you carry if you're a hospitable person. Kind of create home wherever you go. For me, it's I think of hospitality, it's like being at home with yourself, with others, and with God. And so that means being as real, as honest, and authentic. And that's changed my relationship with God completely, that He loves me. I think the table is just so representative of that, that like Christ sits at the table with us, invites us, no matter what garbage we have. And that's changed my relationship with God permanently. Mm. And I want other people to experience that too, that Yeah, no matter their circumstance, what they look like, what they're going through, that there's always space for them in the kingdom, and that Jesus just wants them so badly to experience his unconditional love for them. Right. Yeah. That's a very vulnerable posture and attitude to have. And I think especially like in our culture, like, I don't know if that's always an attitude that people want to have with one another, Mm -hmm. or maybe they're afraid to kind of enter into vulnerable spaces. Yeah, I was was actually, I read an article a little while ago called Messy House Parties, where 
it's like we we often have house parties where it's very pristine mm-hmm. it's like everything is like all set and you know, you know mm-hmm. everything is clean and whatnot but this author was like why, why can't we just have like real parties with like real spaces yeah <laughs> and it's like what john said like it's like there's a certain expectation and like the shame there's yeah you know what it means honor like i'm, I'm actually kind of curious too like how did you guys wrestle with that to come to the point of vulnerability and you know like our space will never be always pristine mm-hmm. you know especially if you're kids and i'm sure being in a shared space yeah like living condition <laughs> is very unique because everybody has yeah. different styles yeah so like how how did you get there and like what, what was that journey like i think hospitality is a practice that forces you to be vulnerable because you are opening your home to mm-hmm. people and I do think that the common practice is to open your home to family and to your closest friends. And that's very safe, very secure. But I think for people who see a larger mission behind hospitality, they extend that invitation to people outside of who they trust. Sure. And so that habit, that practice, I think makes you more comfortable in that weird, vulnerable space that we'd rather not live in, honestly, right? I mean, I don't want to live in that space to say, here's my junk. You can see it. You know what my bathroom looks like. Something's (laughs) floating because my kids haven't flushed, right? That kind of space. And to invite people continually over and over again into your house. I mean, as to your question, I feel like the true friends who I'm comfortable inviting over, even when our house is a mess, those are the true friends because I'm not embarrassed for them to see (laughs) the Legos haven't been cleaned up. Oh gosh, we haven't swept. We haven't vacuumed or blah, blah, blah. Right. But on the other hand, as a host, I do think there is this element of not shame, but you want to bring your A game too when you have Mm -hmm. people over and it's a skill and it's, something that i enjoy doing so christmas time thanksgiving time it's okay to kind of bring your a game and clean the house and you know clean those nooks and crannies you don't even clean just in case (laughs) someone opens that drawer (laughs) i i fully embrace that there are times to do that and times not to so yeah that's an interesting tension to be Mm -hmm. like you know wanting to be real authentic and inviting people into your space and your home and inviting them into a place where, like, this is what it's like. But at the same time, showing effort and giving our A-game, as you said, kind of giving our best to another person. Like, that's an interesting tension to kind of work out for each right. person, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to say that's the kingdom kind of mentality, that it's it's both. That you have a sense of being vulnerable, showing it like it is, because you don't want to be two-faced. You don't want to, mm-hmm. hey, I have to put up some front or some facade. On the other end, it's like I'm treating this person like Christ, like yeah. royalty, and giving them the image and right. uh, yeah. treating them in the image of of, of God mm. that they deserve. So it's just like I could I could I could see the like, and you said that especially when you have when you go beyond just a nice house party versus no, this is now if this becomes everyday part of my life, a practice. You even said which I don't even know if I ever heard anyone really talk about the like making it a practice of hospitality. It's almost like yeah, I'm being hospitable. But to make that a practice, a, a discipline in your life for the sake of mission, for the sake of someone knowing Christ or experiencing God, like that's, that's awesome. It was actually a story that came to mind of like this little church that practices hospitality in such a really amazing kind of way. Because I think when you practice hospitality, I think it impacts other people in incredible ways. So one year, my wife and I decided to go to Seattle. We decided to go to Seattle during Black Friday and Thanksgiving weekend. 
not knowing that like nothing is open on Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, so we arrived and we were like, Oh, this is cool. Like we went, we looked around a little bit. We went to Pike place and whatnot. And then we had a couple of friends here. Is that your first impression of Seattle? Just going there on that day? Like- no, no, no. Uh, we were there a couple of days before that. <laughs> okay. Um, but I was dumb. I should have rented a car. Uh, we, tr- we tried to take public transit and it's, it was so hard. It sucks in Seattle. <laughs> transit. Anyways, yes. so. We're in Toronto? Oh, yeah. Way worse. <laughs> oh, yeah. Way worse. Wow. And so one of my friends, they go to an expat church in Seattle and they were like, hey, like, if, if, you, if you're not doing anything, why don't you come join us for Thanksgiving dinner? We're all meeting at this guy's house. And we were like, sure. Like, it's not like, it's either that or hotel food. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we went and then we, w- we went inside this really nice kind of uh, condo in downtown Seattle. We're walking in. It's like everybody was having a blast. Everybody's welcoming. Like there was food that's being prepped and they're having this giant meal. And we've been there for like half an hour. And we're like, who exactly lives here? Like, who's the host? Like, everybody is hosting. Like, everybody. Wow, awesome. cool. And so we were like... This is amazing. Like, talk about hospitality and its impact in a community. Because mm-hmm. when you go to a home that you don't even know who the host is and everybody knows the house inside out, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, like that, that was amazing. I think the, the messiness, it doesn't even have to be messy, but like when you offer or extend hospitality to somebody, it's also an invitation for them to be vulnerable and really comfortable in your space. And when your house looks like a museum, it doesn't encourage <laughs> that. Not so, a speck of dirt. <laughs> so if you're inviting somebody to come over and to feel like they can be themselves, you also have to be yourself. So mm. I think like I had to let go of perfectionism in my home. Sure. I also live in like the weirdest apartment ever. There's like a concrete hallway and my floors are linoleum and dark green. Like it's ridiculous. Oh, awesome. So I had to let go of it partially because that's where I live. But also because if I expect other people to come in and be vulnerable and authentic, I also have to be vulnerable and authentic. Yeah. And like, for example, somebody's coming over tonight and I'm not going to be home to clean before. And then they're just going <laughs> to see our lives and I hope it inspires them yeah. to be themselves too. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And I think you're kind of pointing to an idolatry there where if it's like, oh, we need to present ourselves in a certain way and we're not going to be vulnerable, then it's about us. Mm-hmm. It's about how people see us. Whereas if we can invite them into our lives and into the normalcy of life, it's really about like, how can we be vulnerable with each other? But how can we also understand like, you know, God is bringing us together and mm-hmm. it's okay just to be our, ourselves around a table, right? So yeah, yeah that's, that's really cool. I do think it's also important to understand context mm, because yeah, for, for example, sure. you know, sometimes I'll invite friends over and I'll want their moms to come over. And if Auntie Florence is coming over to the house, you know, I'm going to oh, clean the I house. Yes. Auntie right? Do you know Auntie Florence? Yeah. If, when Auntie Sally, the first time she Florence. came. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but the first time Auntie Sally came to my house, I was, I had three kids. My youngest was barely a year. I cleaned my house, except I didn't clean my room. And she came up and she wanted to see my room. Whoa. And I just Wait, thought, someone demanded to see your room? Oh, she said, oh, your house is, you know, the auntie way. Your house is so nice. What does your bedroom look like? Oh, man. <laughs> so then I said, okay, come up, Auntie Sally. I didn't clean it. That was the last house. I just put all the junk in there. And then she, afterwards she said, yeah, it needs to be cleaned. <gasps> wow. <laughs> but I love her so much. I didn't care. Yeah. But yeah. I guess I'm just saying cleaning your house is a way to honor your guest in oh, a certain so context. True. So true. That and is so really good. depending yeah, on yeah. who are you hosting, I will have it really, really clean and sometimes not. Yeah. Yeah. So 
And I, and I think that, that it brings it back to intention. I, I'm thinking, especially both of your contexts are interesting, that you're in downtown urban area, like inviting the poor in and just going, hey, just, just come and, and be a part of this. And s- similarly, you're just inviting whoever around the area, hey, co- come over, like people from maybe small group or from church or, or from anywhere. But it's like, like you're saying, context is interesting. And I find that for, I'm sure for a lot of people listening, even I can imagine are mostly suburban kind of people. Like, and I think that's, that's the hard thing in the suburban context. There is a natural thing about setting everything up to look pristine, mm-hmm. to, to be Instagram worthy, to be mm-hmm. whatever. So that, oh, she, you know, click. And it's like, oh, look at that. You should redeem Instagram. Redeeming Instagram. <laughs> Does it need to be? Re- okay, forget it. I'll, I'll get there. But, that's but, another episode. But it's like, but to, but the intentions behind it yeah. are, are what's key. And it's yeah, like, that's so true. you know, like, and so I, I, I totally agree that context matters. And it's just like, and knowing kind of where we're at, do we model to people what the kingdom attitude looks like in the context? Mm. Yeah, that's good. That is awesome. Vulnerability, but also honoring one another. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. As I was listening to your story, it kind of made me think my story as an immigrant coming, I feel the home was such a safe spot. I'm, I have Asian parents, so I don't feel like my parents accept me con- unconditionally like that. You guys know what I mean, mm-hmm. right? They are very Asian, and so they have high expectations, and they're very loving, warm people. But I never saw home as a place where I could be myself because I'm so accepted. Because I was an immigrant, I feel that anywhere else you go, and my town was really white, Mm -hmm. so people see you in a certain way. They see you as the Korean. They see you as the outsider. And inside my home, when my friends came over, And our community was so Korean in our home. I really don't remember very many non-Koreans inside of it. It becomes a safe space where you can be yourself because your Koreanness is such a huge part of you, your Mm. culture. It's okay if grandma left, you know, if my harmony left some dried fish on the (laughs) drying rack because your harmony did the same thing. There's two uh, big bottles of kimchi, big jars in the fridge and it stinks up everything. Exactly. And my white friends would come over and just be like, wow, it really smells strong, you know, and you're kind of embarrassed. Yes. But even not everyone back then, this is way before Koreans were cool, right? So... Before Kim's Convenience. Before yeah. that show came on. I feel like Gwyneth Paltrow loves kimchi, so not everyone loves kimchi. And I'm so annoyed, right? Because <laughs> kimchi is so good. Co- co-opted. Co-opted. <laughs> yes, for sure. But just to say that I think for me, the whole faith journey, I am an immigrant, right? And because I am an immigrant Christian, that changes my story. And that right. changes the way I do hospitality. Right. So even the context of if an auntie comes over, shoot, I'm going to clean my house, right? That kind of context, understanding, I know that. But also, too, um, there is a different level of, of belonging acceptance that I kind of depended upon in the creation of cultivating of hospitality in my home, that we're outsiders everywhere else, but in this one space, you can feel like you belong you can say and do whatever you want. I mean, I've had aunts and uncles come over and start flossing at the table. And, you know, that's totally acceptable in a Korean context. Yeah, and it flicks out. And, but it's, it's different. So that sense of belonging when you are an outsider everywhere else. Yeah. But then I feel like on the negative side, it makes the Christian immigrant 
Asian community so insular. Okay. Because then we come to depend on that so much. So I've been a part of churches where that community is there, but it doesn't reach out. Right. And so it's hard to get in. It is. Mm. And yes. how missional is that? Mm. It's yeah. not. What does it mean to break through that barrier? What are some of those steps to kind of start thinking differently and implementing practices differently to be able to not be insular, but to start to be more outward focusing? I think it just means inviting more people over. Not everyone that you like right off the bat. I think once you get to know a person, once you share a meal, yeah, you'll like them. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree. Food is key in that question. I th- I really like food because everybody needs it, no matter what circumstance you're in. So even if you don't really like a person or you don't have a lot in common with them, you ha- all have to eat. So that's one one thing that you can have in common. And I think it also makes us all more human. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It's not just inviting people over for the sake of having them over, but finding a shared experience and food is often the easiest way to do that, sharing a meal. So, Mm. yeah, like I wouldn't say like I am not, I don't invite millions of people into my home, but it's just a home that's very welcoming to anybody who needs a space of belonging or, or a safe space. So like our roommates will often be like, oh, so-and-so is coming over or like I've had strangers literally from my like front yard come in anyway. So it just has a welcoming spirit, but yeah, any, any time that I have somebody, any time that we want to reach out, it has to involve food because that's our, <laughs> that's our starting point. We all need it. I think food is a great equalizer. I agree. When with you, you share something, there's no hierarchy. Yeah. And that's what makes it so cool. Mm-hmm. You can mm. sit and share a piece of cake and Unless yeah. you're a horrible person and you cut the, you know, yeah. the, piece and un- <laughs> yeah. the cake in unequal pieces yeah. and give it to, I, I guess you could do that to your grandfather. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Do you know what I'm thinking? Sometimes no, but, that's acceptable, yeah. but. in my Especially in my ministry where there are very significant power dynamics at play between me who has a home and I have everything I need at my fingertips and everything's very accessible versus somebody who is homeless or street involved and doesn't have the same resources, has a lot of trauma in their background. When we eat together, it is the great equalizer that we are trying to see each other as more human, me for them and them for me. Right. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, I think about this in terms of a lot of stuff we like to talk about on the podcast is like discipleship. And I see that anytime I've invested in anyone or or let them into my life, it's been over food (laughs) Food Mm -hmm. first and foremost. And it's like that, that's like you're saying that, that space of like first thing is if we have nothing in common, which sometimes I don't, and I'm like, Oh, it's really okay. I'll be very honest. Sometimes it's like, I'm God, I know you want me to spend time with this person, but I don't know how to, <laughs> let's just go have a meal. Like let's just go, you know, break some bread or just have a drink or, or whatever. And I, I find that it's in that space where, where things can, can develop, where become more at ease and they actually feel, Oh, and this is not a practice I suggest to everyone, but I, I always feel for some reason, I don't know if this is all the Asian in me too, about getting the bill. I always have to, like, if I take them out somewhere out, like, let me pay at least, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I, I want to appreciate that you spent time with me. Or you sneak yeah. to the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to go to the walk room. That. <laughs> right? and, but it's like, it, but like, he's, I think you guys are saying like, it's this, it's so many times, if not probably most, like majority of the time, the start of that, of that process. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because I'll bring it back to what least you shared about honoring and even about like paying for the bill. I know that there are certain people I can do that with, 
but I also know certain family that I can't do that with, or they'll be offended. They will like, they'll be like, you are offending me. You are dishonoring me. And I, I had to look, let that go because I was like, you know, this isn't about me because if I'm going to be honoring that other person too, then maybe it's like, okay, we release that drive to want to do that. Yeah. But, but the Canadian side of me kicks in and I just like, yeah, yeah, go pay. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's we'll cool. just, we'll let's just split the bill. Split the bill. <laughs> let's ask them to split even the bill. I think as we were talking about the elements of food and how that becomes that point of connection, I, I think there's a reason why the Last Supper was the institution of, you know, the Lord's table. Yeah. Right? And that practice. And even at Emmaus Road, yeah. like Jesus was revealed when they were having a meal. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something about like sitting together sharing this this common food brings to light something more and it brings to light about Jesus. I totally believe that food is is key. I think sharing a meal is the central practice of the church. Yeah. This is the practice that Jesus instituted. It's even more important than baptism. Baptism mm. happens once, a meal continues to happen. Mm. Well, you That's guys are interesting all pastors, way of thinking about it. But, but uh, it's also like how do we see this Lord's table? Right? Is it just with these wafers and this cup that we do once a month, or can it be like more than that? You know, one of my most vivid memory of you know the Lord's table was when I was at Urbana. It was three in the morning. The only thing that was open was Papa John's, uh, so we ordered pizza <laughs> and we had grape soda. And at that moment, I knew that we were having the Lord's table because we we were remembering Jesus and we were well, breaking pizza. Uh, it wasn't wine. My Anglican friends would, would beat you for that, man. <laughs> Depending <laughs> which Anglican okay. friends. All right. But yeah. Yeah. Like, and I, I totally, I totally agree. I, I, I so agreed to a point where in, in our church context that we used to practice it monthly. Now I'm like, no, we need this regularly. We need this weekly, if not. And then actually the way that we explain it in our, in our community context is that, you know, taking off of, of course, Fitch, of course, I love to bring that up, but um, David Fitch, where it's just that we, we have we at at the Lord's table at the formal practice at, uh, in our gathering as the church, and then we have that there. But at the same time, He calls us at our tables. What what do we do? That there's mm-hmm. extending the Lord's table, right. and then even and even going into the world's table where we're invited That's to other right. people's houses, and we come in as the stranger. And how as do we? Guest. Yeah, as the as the guest yeah. in that. And what does that look like in following Christ's footsteps that way? And I think this this ta- this living the Eucharistic life is so key. Yeah. Kind of taking it out of the institution, mm-hmm. taking it out of kind of a specific expression. All of life. All like, of life. It's yeah, putting it life. into practice. Yeah. Right? As, as an everyday practice yeah. and not just something that is like set apart. Yeah, for sure. Wh- which it is. Wh- it is. Yeah. We, <laughs> interesting stuff within that, but yeah, that like, but it's not for the sake of, of the institutional practice, mm. but for the sake of our lives being formed in Christ's likeness yeah. Yeah. till eternity. Yeah, for sure. As we're talking about David Fitch, he says that the Eucharist happens anytime we attend to the presence of Jesus at mm. the table. Mm. And it looks different no matter where we go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In fact, there's danger of just seeing the, you know, the organized institutional version of it because then then there comes about all these issues of like, oh, how do we define it? How do we control it? Versus are we attending to God's presence in our midst as we sit around the table and as we are together? That's, that's huge. And I think that's a huge way of reframing 
so much of how we see it. Like for me, I think it's it's only been in conversations with like Bernard and Shu over the years of me kind of shifting this understanding because I always had that disassociation. Like Lord's table, that's that's what happens at the church, right? But what would it be like if we consider like all those spaces, if done with that posture and intentionality as the Lord's table? And that could be something that can blow our minds. Let me ask you guys this question. Have you guys ever been surprised around the table? Have you guys ever been at a meal and just been surprised about how you are seeing the other person or you've changed the way you've seen another person or, you know, you changed the way that the other person has spoken to you? Yes. All the time. (laughs) All the time. That's what the table is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? You change your perceptions. Mm Mm-hmm. I can think of a specific example with one of the young women that I work with, and she would come over to our hospitality space weekly, and we would cook together. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say I'm a great cook, but I know how to cook, and I know how to follow a recipe quite well, just so everybody knows. (laughs) And that's that's why I think I can make a meal is because I follow a recipe to a T. But she would go off script like none other. And I'd be like, that is not part of the meal. Why are you adding cinnamon to pizza? Like, that's not the way it goes. And It's happening now. And it would happen for a few weeks that we were in tension. And she wouldn't notice it. But I'd be like, that's not the way it goes. And I would have, and eventually I was like, but what if her way is better? What if her letting go of the recipe actually makes, maybe not a better, but a different result? And it, and I had to open up to it. and so. When I wanted to make something very specific and meticulous and whatever, she would go off script. And then eventually I just kind of sunk into her ways of what I'll call like a delightful way of cooking. And and we would eat together. And rather than being like, oh, I wouldn't have done it this way. I was like, <laughs> I was surprised by how good it was, but also surprised at how she, who like in this situation is not a person of power, frankly, but we became equals and actually I was able to elevate her to a place where I was honoring her ways or her style, what God has given her and totally surprised me. And it's changed me. Even this week I told my, as I was cooking, I was like, guys, I'm going off script. A whole da 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 is going in the soup this week. And you were changed. I was changed completely, completely. I totally had to like sink into like, there's a different way of doing this that is equally wonderful, if not more wonderful. Mm. And I love actually cooking with her now because I just, I kind of follow her lead and I challenge her and she challenges me. And mm. yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Hospitality always transforms. It does. Yeah. yeah. It transforms both the host and the receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. I can't think of a specific story, but it's happened so often now that whenever <laughs> I really, truly detest somebody, like a political <laughs> figure, and I just think, wow, this guy. Right? right. I don't know if you're apolitical here, but I always think to myself, if I really can't stand certain people, I think, you know what? I bet you if we sat down at a table and we had a meal, he'd be okay. I would actually, he'd be an enjoyable guest. I bet you he would mm-hmm. because that's what the table does. It transforms relationships, sure. transforms you so that you can see that person, not just as a caricature or as whatever, a stereotype, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. as a real Living human being made in the image of God. Yeah. Very cool. Actually, we kind of been touching upon it, but do you guys have like stories on like, how do you deal with awkward or or frustrating guests, I guess? Or yeah, like I I just find that sometimes, like we were talking about, a lot of 
my peers and suburban context, people, like you said, I think you're saying, Lise, people don't want to invite people to, to your house because it's like, I don't really like this person or it's like I... Or they came before and they, they made a mess or, or, or they just like, or they, they're conversation stoppers or, you know, like, mm-hmm. is there anything that you can like, I don't know, give advice or, or practical ways that you've kind of had to engage? I, I'm sure Bianca has had to deal with mm-hmm. a lot like, of, of stuff of that, but I don't know how like any kind of advice or, or thoughts about that. I think you just have to let it go <laughs> as a host. I think I love having control. Like I love hosting people not just because it's the right thing to do. I also love just like working in my own space and having my own tools and being able to control a situation, but working with youth who are homeless and who often don't have like manners that are typical of people who come into my home or Mm -hmm. don't want to help clean up. I've just had to let it go. Or I think the best thing is as our relationship builds. So as this person comes more and more into your, into your space or whatever it is, there are ways that you can challenge those things or, or so for example, we had a young man, we do a monthly supper club with the the youth that we work with. And so um, it's not just young women that come into the home. It's whoever our staff is working with who have personal relationships. We sit at the table and usually cook and and eat and clean up a meal together. We had a young man who didn't want to clean. And so I, you know, the first time it was fine. The second time it was fine, but I was like, honestly, it's time for you to clean. Like, we all ate this meal together. We all like shared it. And now we all share in the cleaning. Mm. And so I think relationship is probably a big thing. And then just letting it go when it doesn't happen. Like, of course, people are going to be awkward. They're not in their safe space, but you get a chance to make it safe by like not putting pressure on them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it means being more talkative than you want to be or asking more questions than you'd like to, or just like letting it be silent because that's okay too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for myself as a host, there are always weird people. I I just think that just happens. There's Mm -hmm. always someone who, mm -hmm. but someone out there thinks I'm weird too when I go over to their house, right? We all have our own definitions. I think sometimes when you have a person in your community who's a little bit more difficult in terms of following the social cues Mm. and doing things like cleaning up or helping to set the table, those are social cues. And some people are better at it than others. I just think some things that can help sometimes are asking the person directly. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they're just not picking it up and that's okay. Some people don't, but other times too, you can change the number of your party. So if Mm -hmm. you have a big group of people, I find that it tends to kind of lessen the responsibility that each person feels that they have toward the meal. Mm -hmm. So I'll have 40 people over and very few people clean, right? Because they feel like someone else will do it. But if, this person you want to get to know, or you feel God is calling you to be a friend and to extend an invitation to this person in your life, you can invite them over in a smaller context, not one-on-one. I find a really magic number that works for us. So it'll be me and Paul, that's two. And to have one other couple, that's kind of intense. But if you have two other couples, it doesn't even have to be couples who are married or dating, It just two people to have mm-hmm. a group of six, then that kind of lessens the intensity at the same time, it makes everyone socially responsible for the conversation and the mm-hmm. meal. Sure. So, That's so true. it depends yeah. kind of on the context. And mm-hmm. your context is different too, mm-hmm. I think. There's a follow-up question on as we were talking about guests. Yes. So how does growing as a host shape how you be a guest as you are being hosted? Ooh, cool. Great question. I think in my 
earlier days in this, I guess just a few years ago, I think I could be incredibly judgmental of hosts. But then once you start hosting, you have to let that go because <laughs> you expect people to be gracious and non-judgmental with you based on yeah, what your cooking house, whatever it is, uh, looks like. So as a guest, I just try to be as gracious as possible. So like when people are like, excuse the mess, I'm like, I love this. I love seeing what people's lives are actually like, because this is real. Like you have kids, you, we don't even have kids in our apartment is full of dog hair or whatever, (laughs) or my hair. I don't know. So as a, as a host, I've just learned to be more gracious as a guest and just embrace whatever messiness what or whatever cleanliness like your home just says something about you and I when I enter people's homes I want to learn about who they are at their core and so I just try to embrace that Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like for me it's a journey so I want to be the kind of guest that I would want in my home Mm -hmm. right who and I think the kinds of guests that get invited back again and again well, I do feel that we do have a mission. And so I just invite guests who, will, even if they're not like this, I will invite. But the ones that I really enjoy, I think are very helpful. So yeah. they pick up stuff. And again, that's my love language. So they'll pick up stuff. They'll put stuff aside. They don't just want to talk to me or to my husband, but they'll engage with the kids. They understand that we come as a package, right? They mm-hmm. see us as a family mm-hmm. unit. And so I love that. I think it's really important when we go to other people's houses that I, I try to be as helpful as possible. Mm-hmm. And I am in the kitchen. I'm whatever. I'm trying. But everyone has their own sense of mm-hmm. what they're comfortable with, too, as a host. Yeah. So I try to be sensitive to that. Some people mm-hmm. don't want you in their kitchen. Yeah. Sometimes it's re- really hard to be on the receiving end as a guest, right? To let somebody host you. Like, it's very easy to just jump in and... <laughs> take over things but um i've been challenged so with my friends uh there's five couples and we host so again another monthly supper club but it's with five couples that we've grown up with and the rule is whoever hosts and so we rotate one couple each month a different couple each month whoever hosts they cook and they do all the cleaning and everybody else has to sit down and it's a very strict rule that you don't bring anything and you don't clean anything and it's actually so challenging to me. I'm always like, okay, but there's dishes. Like these poor, this poor couple, they're going to have to wash these dishes all night. But that's, but that's the joy of it. Every four months I do that. I clean and I host. But on the other months, I just get to enjoy. And it's actually a really good practice of mm, forced guest posture that you just get to. And they love, and also the hosts love to just like offer and it's not that they're not part of it but offer this opportunity for people to just relax and not have the pressure of cleaning or cooking or hosting Mm -hmm. i think you bring up actually a really good point in that Mm -hmm. i was just thinking going into someone's house is not as hard as accepting and receiving in your own home Mm -hmm. i think that is much harder when i am in my house so my thing is that i like to cook and don't bring anything and i find that the reason why i say that is it makes everyone late and and i'm a type a person so everyone brings weird things that don't go together right and so like what we've done here today no but i have done that purposefully right so now i'm trying to practice receiving so when people ask oh can we bring something my tendency my natural desire is actually to say nope it's fine i got it Mm -hmm. but now whenever people ask that i will say okay this is a way to extend and receive friendship and it does require that I give up my control, 
but it also makes the relationship more equal because what I'm inviting you to do then is not just to be a guest, but to be a participant in my mm-hmm. life. And mm-hmm. that's what I want. I wow, feel like yeah. we want friendship. We don't want someone to feel like we're they're coming over and just serving them. I want equality at the table. I want you to see me as a person because I will see you as a person. And there is this weird power dynamic that happens when you're the host. And so any way to kind of mitigate that power dynamic so that one person is not too unequal. Right. Yeah. Makes life better. I think makes friendship better, makes the time together better. And I really feel like this is the way Jesus wants us to live too. Mm-hmm. Right? No hierarchy. And how how he modeled it. Bring he your modeled it. Bring your fish. Bring yeah. Bread. Bring the bread. See what happens. One thing I wanted to say, because yes. it didn't come up in our conversation. Let's do it. We're obviously two women. And I oh. find that <laughs> hospitality, a lot of people think it's a woman's job. So I do kind of want to address that a little bit, just because mm-hmm. you guys are three guys. And that's excellent. Yes. I'm also a pastor's wife. So I think a lot of people think that that role belongs to a pastor's wife. I guess technically Paul's not a pastor anymore, but you know what yeah, I mean, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he, yeah. It's not employment. It's whatever. It's what he yeah. does. <laughs> he's just Paul. Anyhow, he's Paul. He's Paul. <laughs> but I do kind of just want to address that because I feel like sometimes I hear or I read different things written by women and it just pisses me off whenever mm-hmm. I feel like hospitality is for women, for women to execute, for women to do. We're the home cookers and that just angers me to no end because I think it sounds like from your experience and my experience, this is just what I love and this is who I am, but not every woman is geared toward that. Mm -hmm. Just like not every guy is too, but there are Mm -hmm. some men who really love it too. So yeah, I completely agree with you because if I'm being honest, I wanted to resist the kitchen as much as possible um, out of principle, like I, <laughs> as my faith was being like very formed and shaped in my late teens, early twenties, I was reading a lot of like feminist Christians and they're trying to figure out like, what does biblical womanhood look like? And I'm like, it is not in the kitchen. Like everybody tells me, but then I got married and I was like, I love the kitchen. I love cleaning. I love making home and I'm going to lean into it. I don't care if it looks like what other maybe feminist Christians Maybe it doesn't look like what they would say is being like a good biblical woman, but I just don't care. This is what God has inspired in me. It brings me joy. Mm-hmm. It brings peace into my life. And so, yeah, I didn't want that at all. I didn't want to be that homemaking, typical biblical woman, but um, through, yeah, there I am. I love the kitchen. I love homemaking. I yeah. think this is actually really important because it actually alleviates a lot of pressure mm-hmm. for a lot of people who yes. think that. Oh, just because of my gender, I need to be really good at it. But perhaps mm-hmm. it's not the kind of giftings or passions that God may have given. Mm-hmm. And perhaps it may be even just like a share responsibility, right? Like it doesn't have to be like this set box way. And so I think this is important. Yeah. I think it's gravely important. And it could be learned together, right? Men and women can learn from each other and practice it together. I'm just even thinking about what if in a family, neither the husband or wife have the gift of hospitality. Does that automatically mean like, oh, we don't need to practice hospitality, right. but maybe it's something that can be learned together and, and can be practiced in different ways together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love this conversation because it's, it's deeply insightful and it's highly practical as well. And it gives us a lot to kind of wrestle with, especially how the gospel is lived out and expressed in our lives and how as God invites us to his table, 
How then can we extend that out? But there's a sense of mutuality with that too, right? Is that sense of like, you know, we are called together, right? We are in communion with God. We are also called to participate with God in what he is doing. And, and so much of that can happen around the table, right? So much of that happens around the relationships of the table. To wrap up our episode, we often do our takeaway box. And so our takeaway box is one final thought you would like to leave with listeners for them to think about, for them to put into practice, for them to continue to chew on. And so what would be your takeout box as we've been talking about the topic of hospitality? I think a lot of people avoid hospitality because they think they need to be a perfect cook, have a perfect home, be perfectly clean and pristine and all of those things. But actually experiencing hospitality from those who don't have home or physical home or whatever their home looks like, it's not what you expect. Under bridges, alleyways, whatever it is, my takeaway is that you can actually be an extender of hospitality no matter where you are or what your skill set is. There's a spirit of just wanting people to feel like they belong and that they're welcome no matter what circumstance they are. Sure. My takeaway would be, I think a lot of people think that hospitality is playing nice. Mm -hmm. Cleaning up the house, making a meal, inviting people over for dinner. But I think hospitality is not playing nice. It's dangerous work. Mm -hmm. It is subversive work. It is a radical act that seeks to transform not just the host, but the guest. And it in practicing hospitality as a real discipline, as a skill, as a habit, forming, shaping, it's just as instrumental to life as your daily devotion. And when we do these practices, I feel throughout history, Christians have transformed the cultures that they've lived in through this simple act of hospitality. And that's kind of the dangerous element of hospitality that we as believers don't really embrace enough, mm. that challenging the status quo disrupting power structures. Mm -hmm. These are the things we do at the table, whether we know it or not, yeah. right? Inviting the outsider in and forcing people to accept that person, mm. that is really radical work. Yeah, and so sure. yeah. I just want to reiterate too, mm -hmm. like with girls, women especially, mm -hmm. it's not just putting on an apron <laughs> and no. uh, this kind of nice work. Mm -hmm. It is, it's dangerous work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. powerful. Very powerful. Reconciliation, God's presence, all of that can break through in hospitality and changes all of us. Excellent. Thank you guys so much for listening to our episode today. Oh man, there's so much to think about and continue to wrestle with and put into practice. So let us know how you've been engaging with the topic today. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, or by email. And let us know, what does hospitality mean for you? And how has it shaped you? How has it shaped your practices? If you haven't done so already, please remember to rate and review our episodes and subscribe with whatever podcast service you have. And it really helps us get this conversation out there and reach more people. Just even recently, been really happy to hear from people all over around the world. So it's been really crazy to see how this conversation is reaching out. And once again, you have been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast. And we hope you will join us on this journey. See ya. Peace.